So let's welcome Brian Fisher up here today. Um, I, uh, we, I do have a, a quick story about Brian that I'm not going to share, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm just going to give you some, uh, an, an intro into a conversation with Brian later on. If you want to have a good conversation with Brian, ask him about junior high in his mom's Halloween costume that she helped him put together. It's a, it'll be a great conversation. Um, Brian, you need no introduction. It's fantastic to have you here back with us today. Brian's ordination is in just a few months in May, uh, so keep him in your prayers. Why don't we extend our hands and say a quick prayer over Brian. Heavenly Father, we uh, just pray that you would bless Brian today, that you would be with him, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what he has to say. And we pray all this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy. So Deacon Brian Fisher. Thanks, Bill. I don't know what he's talking about that story. Might have involved like diapers or something. Anyways, what a joy to be with you all this morning. And uh, as Bill said, uh, ordination to priesthood is coming fast uh, for me, May 29th. Uh, you'll be getting uh, something soon. Uh, certainly, uh, I don't know what the restrictions are going to be. I think everyone hopes that it's going to open up by May 29th. But you are all going to get an invite to come to the ordination. And um, there'll be some other things happening that weekend. Uh, the first mass really will be a community mass. Now, obviously not required, but it's... It's going to be a community mass, and there'll be some uh, folks from SPO and so on and so forth. Uh, and then there'll be some other guests. It'll probably be in the afternoon on Sunday sometime. Uh, so there'll be just some different things. Keep your eyes uh, peeled for some communication on that. Uh, and please uh, keep me in prayer. I would say this. Uh, I would not be here, meaning at this point, if I hadn't been here. Uh, there's no way that I would have ended up heading towards this uh, uh, vocation if it wasn't for the vocation I had to the community of Christ the Redeemer and do have. So I'm just very grateful uh, to all of you for the many years together, and I look forward to many more. All right, uh, this morning, uh, as you know, we've been going through a series or uh, what appears to be a series on the foundations of our life. And no matter where you're at, whatever group you're in, subgroup, whether you're a 20-something or 30-something in Emmaus, or you're a young married in the community, or maybe you're a more senior member, much respect and dignity to the more senior members, or maybe you're a, a person sort of in the middle, or maybe you're, you, you're a little older, but you think you're a part of the young married, uh, like Craig. Craig thinks he's part of the young married program still. Uh, whatever the case... Uh, these foundations 
sort of cut through all the stages and seasons of life. And this morning, um, actually before we get into that, I just wanted to call to mind uh, what we covered in the last gathering. I thought it was very, um, well, I was very uh, moved by the talk, particularly. That the time is short. Jim was sharing with us, now is the acceptable time. That we can't put off conversion to a future life. That the present moment is actually the gateway to eternity. Right now is the day of salvation. And time is like God waiting for us, not us waiting for him. And for some of us, actually for all of us, time is running out in one way or another. And we don't know when that time is going to run out. Many of you remember George. And I was with George uh, before he passed, uh, just briefly before he passed. I had heard that my two brothers actually were going over uh, George Marks to, to uh, visit him. They were playing praise and worship in his room and causing all kinds of ruckus at the facility he was at. And uh, I happened to be in town and uh, briefly, I, and I was leaving town uh, uh, shortly, and I thought I got to get over to see George. And George and I, we just shared together. We, uh, we prayed together. And um, I just had this sense that, you know, it was his day was coming, uh, that the time was very short. I just want to share with you, we, we prayed this prayer together, and I just want to offer it to you. God, my Father, in your goodness and mercy, grant that before I die, I may regain all the graces which I have lost through my carelessness and folly. Permit me, Lord, to be transformed into the image of Jesus, your son, to the degree which you desired for me in this life and which up to this moment I have failed by my unfaithfulness to reach. Mercifully grant also that others regain the graces which they have lost through my fault. This I humbly beg of you through the heart of Jesus, your son, and in the holy, all-powerful, and life-giving spirit. And I pray this with the help of the heart of Mary, mother of God, and my mother. Amen. So George and I prayed that together, and I, I literally think it was the next day or the day after that George passed. And it was a providential coming together. And now George is, uh, is, is with us at this gathering in some way. I really believe it. 
Let's just pray for a moment again. Turn our hearts to the Lord. As I was preparing uh, for this, I just really sensed the immense love God has for the community of Christ the Redeemer. So, Father, we turn our hearts to you. Lord, through your church, you have said that we are part of the providential response that the Holy Spirit has given to the need of our time. And we are your community. We know that you came up with this idea. We know that through your Holy Spirit and through the life of your son, Jesus, you have shown us a way to live and how to live in the world today. And Lord, we ask that you would visit us even more fully now, that you would open our hearts to receive your word and that that word would take deep root and bring unity and freedom to us as a community. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the scriptures that came to me uh, as I was preparing was from Hebrews 12, chapter 6. And I, we'll make the scriptures available uh, somehow, but uh, I'm sure you Catholics all brought your Bibles, right? Um, and you at home, you have the advantage of, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can go get it now. Uh, but maybe you could pull it up on your phone even. Uh, but uh, I'll be just firing a number of scriptures away, and uh, obviously you don't have a handout, but uh, you could follow along on your phone if you'd like or in your actual scriptures. Hebrews 12, 6 says, The Lord disciplines him whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Hebrews 12, 14 to 15 says, Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which there is without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. Psalm 36, 2 says, He so flatters himself in his mind that he knows not his guilt. Mark 9 Verse 50 says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. So again, just as I was preparing, I felt that somehow those scriptures particularly had a prophetic meaning for the community right now, especially that we wouldn't fall short of grace and that no bitter root would grow up in our midst, in our hearts, between each other, and that we would be at peace with one another. So today we're going to uh, take a few brief moments 
to look at the task of a lifetime. Holiness. The call to holiness. First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is God's will for you. You don't have to look very far for it. It's very clear. God's will is for you and I to be holy. The church uh, also proclaims this. Uh, Many of you are very familiar with this, but let's just review briefly from the Second Vatican Council, Lumen Gentium. The followers of Christ, this is number 40, the followers of Christ are called by God not because of their works, but, but according to his own purpose and grace. They are justified in the Lord Jesus because in the baptism of faith, they truly become sons of God and sharers in the divine nature. In this way, they are really made holy. Then, too, by God's gift, they must hold on to and complete in their lives this holiness they have received. And then that famous line, all the faithful of Christ, whatever rank or status, are called to the fullness of Christian life and to the perfection of charity. Another letter by uh, John Paul II says this. This is from Novo Millennio Inuente, number 31. Since baptism is a true entry into the holiness of God through incorporation into Christ and the indwelling of his spirit, it would be a contradiction to settle for a life of mediocrity. When we ask catechumens, do you wish to receive baptism? That means, do you wish to become holy? As the council, the Vatican Council itself explained, this ideal of perfection must not be understood as if it involves some kind of extraordinary existence possible for only a few uncommon heroes of holiness. The time has come to repropose wholeheartedly to everyone this high standard of ordinary Christian living. The whole life of the Christian community and of Christian families must lead in this direction. Mother Teresa used to say this in a simpler way. She would just say, holiness is not the luxury of a few. It is meant for you and me and for all of us. And the Lord has spoken to us about this many times over the years. This is just one prophetic word. He said to us, know that I mean to form you into a holy people. Know that at times my hand will be heavy upon you. But it is to lead you and form you into my people. Allow me to cleanse and purify you. You must give me every part of your life, 
your future, your expectations, your fears, your joys. Give it all to me. All must be consumed by my purifying fire. And even uh, Anne Bilijewski's song, I think, has this prophetic tone to it. I am your God. I have chosen you to be my holy people. People, yes, I am your God. I have chosen you to be my holy people. So there's kind of a a secondary uh, title to this talk. Holiness is Christ in me. Holiness is Christ in me. Because it's very important that we understand how to answer the question, whose task is the task of holiness? It's very important that we know how to answer that correctly, or we might find ourselves off on the wrong path. Let's look together at uh, Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 31, the story of the rich young man that might help us to unpack this question, whose task is the task of holiness? Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And he was setting out on a journey. A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. The man said to Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it is, dear children, to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were exceedingly astonished and said to him, we're in verse 26 now, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Psalm 14, verse 2 and 3 says, The Lord looks down from heaven upon all the children of men to see if there are any 
that act wisely, that seek after God. They have all gone astray. They are all alike corrupt. There is none that does good. No, not one. I think this psalm kind of gives us a clue to uh, unpacking the story of the rich young man. And of course, he could have been anything. The point was not uh, an indictment against rich people. I love rich people. (laughs) The, The point was, is that he was clinging to his riches and the Lord who could see his soul, he could see right through him, knew that. And of course, when we encounter the Lord, he sees right through us. I mean, there's no surprises with him. He knows all about us. And he sees right through any falsehood. There's a wonderful translation in the Liturgy of the Hours, for those of you who pray the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, and you might miss it. It's in night prayer. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a verse from Galatians 2, chapter 16. Uh, and I'm trying to remember but it, uh, which night it is. But it, it's just before Psalm 143. And sometimes they give these little verses as just sort of a primer. And the verse goes like this. Only by faith in Jesus Christ is a man made holy in God. Only by faith in Jesus Christ is a man made holy in God's sight. No observance of the law can achieve this. And even today's readings really dovetail with this. Right? The reading from Exodus at Mass, the giving of the law. And then the second reading where Paul says, we proclaim Christ crucified. And he says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And then from the gospel, this very curious line, John chapter 2, 23 to 25, where many began to believe in him because he was working these signs. But it's this curious line, but Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew them all and did not need anyone to testify to him about human nature, he knew it well. Very curious line. I don't even know, I don't even know if I remember reading that in the gospel, but there it is, John chapter 2. He knew them well. He knew all about the folly of human nature and the challenge that even when he gave the law, they could not keep the law. That even when he extended his own son, the failure to respond, the foolishness, the difficulty that we all face. Right? Remember last month it was, 
Yes, we have our sin and we have our weakness, and sometimes we make decisions that aren't the best out of that weakness. And we think, oh, you know, someday I'll get over that weakness and then I'll be there. I'll, I'll clean that all up. I'll order my life and then I'll be able to present myself to the Lord and he'll put me on that elevator and boom, I'm up to the top. Someday. But underneath it all, as God pulls the veil and we, be, we face ourselves, what do we find? A heart of darkness. There is not one of us who can escape that reality. Is that no matter how good you think you are, the Lord says back to you, well, why do you call me good? See, that's what the rich young man was trying to do. He was trying to justify himself by giving a compliment to the Lord. Good master. Because he thought the Lord was like him. And he just wanted to hear the Lord say, good boy, you've done well. Go on your way. There is nothing else you need to do. That's what he was looking for. If you really think about how he addressed the Lord. And the Lord says to him, and here is God incarnate. <laughs> the irony of the response, why do you call me good? Only God is good. See, it's, see, Jesus didn't come to save the good. He came to save the bad. Like, we really are all bad girls and boys, including myself. <laughs> and that's why he came, was to save us from our wickedness, from our sin. And that is not just a one-time thing that you experienced back at the CYC when the prayer meetings were really raucous and you gave your life to Jesus and, you know, you repented of your sins. Or maybe it was at an SPO meeting or a net retreat. This is the same truth today. It's the same truth that has to answer that question. Whose task is it? What is my role in following the Lord, in becoming holy as our own community? It's part of our commitment to actively pursue holiness of life. How do we do that? How do we do that with this human nature that is so foolish? at times. We're in the season of Lent, and Lent is a time to uh, consider the last things. Now, it's not the only time, but it's a time where it comes into particular focus for us. The last things, death, Judgment, heaven, hell. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, 
For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And those who enter through it are many. How narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, is the Lord here this morning to lay a heavy burden on us? Man, here I thought I was good. I came to the gathering this morning. You know, I try to love my wife. I try to love my husband. I don't beat my kids, at least mostly. You know, uh, I pay tithes to the community. I'm an upstanding citizen and so on. And here I get this heavy message. But perhaps what we need is a renewal of how we hear the gospel. How we receive the word of the Lord and who we think is responsible to overcome the weakness, the sin, the inclination to sin. He goes on in Matthew, verse 21. This is chapter 7 of Matthew. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles in your name? Lord, didn't I, didn't I pray over people for a baptism in the Holy Spirit and they actually received the Spirit? Didn't I evangelize all these people at work or in my neighborhood? Didn't I bring so-and-so into the community? Didn't I uh, serve as a coordinator for all those years? Didn't I uh, volunteer to be a pastoral worker? Lord, I did all these things. Brothers and sisters, when we stand before the Lord, I hope that's not your answer. Yeah, but Lord, <laughs> look at all the things I did. I mean, I, I got a whole list here of things that I did for you. Because what does he say in this verse? Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you worker of lawlessness. Matthew 25, verse 11 to 12, just in case it wasn't getting clear. Uh, they say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replies, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Psalm 24, verse 3 to 4. Isn't it amazing how consistent the word of God is? We can just bounce all over, and it's all consistent. Who shall climb the mountain of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? The man with clean hands and pure heart. See, brothers and sisters, there is only one who can please the Father. There's only one. 
and his name is Jesus. That's why he came. And if there's any amount of goodness in us, it is because Jesus is living in us. The rest of it is false. Even you parents, the beautiful vocation of parenting, all you could give your kids at conception was what? The poison of original sin. That's what you gave them. Congratulations. Welcome to the human race. Right? Because God is the one who gave the life. But they all come out Adam. They all come out Eve. They have to be made into Jesus. That, and that's the truth. And even the good that they receive, who is it in you that is giving that to them? That's Jesus. See, that is where your true identity is bound up in. Jesus himself. You, brothers and sisters, are sons and daughters of God. And there, but then we know there's only one son and there's only one who can please him. And so as far as we are growing in holiness, that is Jesus. That is Christ in me. Holiness is Christ in me. We were talking about the last things about dying. I know a really exciting uh, topic. And, of course, we know that, um, you know, we, we, I prayed that prayer with George, and we know that, uh, and hopefully, uh, again, we can make that available if people want it. And uh, we know that uh, if we die in the friendship of God and yet there's still some more work to be done, we ha- there's an option for us. Now, it's not like it's a third option. The truth is, is that purgatory is part of heaven. You can't get thrown out of purgatory. Thank God. But it's interesting how purgatory can also mirror life in the spirit. The life that we're actually living right now. That the opportunity for us to be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit, into the image of Jesus. This is what purgatory is. The church is very clear that purgatory is not a place. It's an inward process of transformation in the person whereby they are made capable of Christ, capable of God, capable of communion with the saints. And isn't that what we want now for our lives? To be made capable. And I think that word capable is a good word. Somehow it combines the fact that I don't just sit back in my recliner you know, sipping a mint julep or something and saying, okay, God, You do your work. I'm just going to sit back. 
And yet at the same time, there's nothing that we can own except our sin. And once we come to realize that, that's when the hope begins to spring forth. Because if your hope is in yourself to fix yourself, you're going to be in for a really difficult journey, a very tumultuous journey, because guess what? We're just not that faithful. We're just not that strong. And if I got up here and just said, you know, come on, folks. Let's live that life of holiness. Are you with me? And then we go out. Let's do it. <laughs> right? And then we get home, and some of us last an hour, you know, and some of us last a day. <laughs> and then, you know, for those who are strong, you know, maybe a week. But eventually, we're going to reach our limit It's such a huge topic, so much more to say, but I've got about a minute or two here. I'll just conclude. Brothers and sisters, humility, this is the key because it really is God's tasks, task. And he will see it to completion if we humble ourselves. It's so important that we conclude well today. Because you could walk away from here thinking, wow, maybe the veil was pulled back and I just realized the heart of darkness that's in me. And what can I do? I'm doomed. I may as well hang it up now or eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, you know? See, there's this interrelation between relying on yourself and condemning yourself. Relying on yourself creates the illusion that you're good and you do all things well. And then when the veil gets pulled back and you realize, oh, my gosh, I really am that bad, then you want to condemn yourself. See, and these are like, these are like twins, and they love to work together on us. They're, they're, they're an instrument of the evil one, keeping us down. So we neither want to rely on ourselves because it's not up to us, nor do we want to condemn ourselves when we face the limits of our weakness. He knows, he knows, and he understands. And he wants to come into our lives to bring us that healing. He says in Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding. Isaiah 60, 66 verse 2 says, 
This is the one whom I approve. This is the one in whom I am pleased. The lowly and afflicted man who trembles at my word. My sense for us as a community, as we're continuing to restore the foundations, to recall the foundations of our life, is this. Uh, the Lord is, is deeply in love with us. And he loves us so much as to not let us go astray into bitter roots, into quarreling, into unrest. He has such a beautiful dream for our future that he wants to unfold even right now. And where is that going to unfold? Right in our hearts. And he can do that right at this moment even. He can begin to restore to strengthen, to heal perhaps what was being eroded or attacked or robbed from us. Brothers and sisters, love covers a multitude of sins. So let's, let's love one another and let's Forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us. Amen? Just a couple of uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, things you could take away or look into. Um, uh, the first is um, and maybe as a follow-up, again, we'll make the scriptures available to people. I don't know. We'll just email them out, right, Bill? There's a couple other, maybe just for your own prayer or study. You could look at Isaiah chapter 57 and 58. Again, in light of what we talked about today. Also, uh, perhaps the whole chapter of Romans 12. Again, I think these are very relevant to what we're facing as a community right now. The other thing, just... Uh, uh, one assignment for the next month, since the next time we gather, uh, it will be Easter season. So we have this next month of Lent left. And one thing that's good to do is just to meditate on your own death. Imagine that tomorrow you are going to die. Imagine that tomorrow you're going to be in front of of the judgment seat. And, and then consider what's important to you in the next 24 hours. Consider how you think about your past and what you thought you should have done. And then when you're done with that, um, consider what a grace it is to, to know that it's not likely that you're going to die in the next 24 hours. <laughs> but you can do something about it now. And finally, let's, uh, let's journey together, huh? Let's journey towards Easter together. Not every man for himself, but we're in this 
together. And I know we're going to explore that foundation of the community at another time. These aren't separate things. These are interrelated. Uh, this isn't the individual holiness talk. This is all of us together. Amen? God bless.